Welcome to our Frontline City Church podcast. This message will activate and inspire you in the supernatural love of God to find your purpose and reach your destiny through Christ. Yeah, we said, come what may, first of May we'll be in, and it's becoming more and more of a reality. Already from that video that was made Friday morning to Friday night, it looks day and night different. We couldn't uh, pan around the camera because it was such a mess, Um, but by the time we went home in the evening, or the team went home, it looked completely different, and I'm so excited to see the changes happening, and uh, this coming week, it will truly take shape. So it is a real blessing and real excitement. And if you are getting cold today, then just hold on. Next week will be better. Um, I want to share a testimony. Two weeks ago, yeah, I prayed for people with issues in their eyes. And um, when I read it on my notes, which I'd actually written down two weeks before, pray for eyes, I suddenly stopped because I realized in the meantime, I had gone for my driver's license and failed my eye test. Now here I've got it on the paper to pray for eyes, and I'm struggling with my own eyes. And uh, I'd made an appointment to the, with the optometrist said to me, I can see the cataract there, make an appointment so that they can remove it. And it didn't bother me because I've had the operation in one of the eyes, and it was such a great success, and it wasn't sore or anything. So I had no problem with the operation. And then Deacon Craig, where's he hiding? Okay. He said, I want to pray for your eyes that you don't need the operation. And to be honest, I was slightly irritated. I was okay with the operation. So why now does he want to pray that I don't need an operation? I don't need a healing because all is it. So I'm sitting in the waiting room with the doctor and thinking about the prayer. And I said, God, I'm not too bothered about the operation. I'm ready to go for the operation. This is just a checkup to the uh, uh, ophthalmologist, I can't even pronounce it, can confirm the right dates and things and go for it. And he starts looking at my eye and he says, did the optometrist say there is a cataract? I said, yes, she did say it. He said, Hannes, there's no cataract in your eye. (laughs) There is a little membrane that has just crossed over your eye. I can quickly remove it here in this uh, room and you're 100%. I can read without my glasses. I can see clearly. And what I thought was going to be an operation and a lot of time was a couple of minutes in his chair and he removed the membrane and I'm perfect. And I'm like, now my, what was my bad eye is my good eye. <laughs> it's just been changed around and that is such a miracle. Amen. So. Sometimes, even when you don't want the miracle, let God do his thing. Because to me, it was such a picture of God doing it. Because the optometrist clearly told me there's a cataract. And I wasn't bothered by it because I had it in the other eye before. And it's been removed. And it was successful. So from the one, when they did the one eye, they said to me, the other eye is going to be done at some stage. So I just, when they said it's now time, I accepted it and it was, I was ready for it. So we have to be ready for God to operate in those moments even more than what we expect. So I want to just talk a little bit about baptism. Okay, we're going to do the baptism now uh, after the service and 
I want to talk about Jesus' baptism from Matthew 3. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and now you're coming to me. Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. And then John consented. So baptism, even Jesus, even the Son of God, said, I need this to do what I need to do. For it to be proper and for things to happen, um, to fulfill righteousness, I have to have it done. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water at that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love, with him I am well pleased. It's a very well-known piece of scripture, but I just want to say that even Jesus had to do these things right. So four things that we learn from this little piece of scripture is, firstly, Jesus had to do it to make things right. So maybe we need it as well. Secondly, fathership and sonship was established at that moment of baptism. That was the first time that God said, this is my son. The moment he went into the water and he came out, he declared, this is my son, whom whom I'm well pleased. So favor and sonship and fathership is established in that moment of baptism. Thirdly, the Spirit came to rest on him. The Holy Spirit started operating in Jesus' life to another level when he got baptized. So those who are getting baptized today, expect that the Spirit of God is going to come on you on a greater level than ever before. The fourth thing that happened is that Jesus' ministry was kick-started by his baptism. From that moment on, he operated in ministry. Can any of us think, well, I'm going to start ministry without being baptized. I'm going to skip the process, even though Jesus says, I had to go through there. So this is the thing with baptism. People try and say, but what really changes? I just go into water and I come out. But it's that absolute, as Pastor Wendy mentioned, blind obedience. I don't have to already understand everything. We can explain a lot about baptism, but ultimately it comes down to this question. Will I be obedient? Will I do what God said I must do, or will I look for something else? (coughs) Amen. So now we get to today's ministry. We are just after Easter. In the process of the history, it was Jesus was crucified. We celebrated that last Friday. Then he rose from the dead last week, Sunday, obviously 2,000 years ago, but we celebrated last week. Now he's in this, we are in this period between him rising from the dead and ascending to heaven. There was 40 days that Jesus showed himself to different people at different times, to Mary and to the guys on the road of Emmaus and all kinds of places and to the disciples He showed himself in those 40 days. This is the time we are in. And it's a time that was very confusing to the uh, disciples who didn't see Jesus. So now you lived your life. You've given three years of your life following this man because you believed he was going to become king. 
Then he dies on a cross. Now some of your friends are saying, but they saw him and they heard about him. Are you going to be slightly confused? Are you going to be a little bit, I'm not sure what's happening here. I don't know if, if I'm comfortable with this thing that you say that he rose from the dead. Hey? Some people are going to say to us Christians, but you're a bit radical, you know. You're a bit pushing it a bit far. After Jesus' death, he revealed himself to many, including those on the road to Emmaus, Mary, and the disciples, and many others. Some of the disciples were unsure and confused. Things didn't work out the way they thought. Well-known Thomas. Okay? We've all heard of doubting Thomas. Okay? Because he went through all of that stuff with Jesus and then he came to the moment, and they told him that Jesus is alive. And verse 24 of John 20. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands, and put my finger where the nails were, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe and I see Christians saying this in different ways. They believe in Jesus, but they don't believe that he really can make a change in their life. They're waiting for that moment where they can actually put it to the test. And I actually don't have a problem if you ask God, like Thomas did, and saying, I want to experience you to such a level that there can be no doubt. Because that's what he said. He said, I want to feel it, I want to see it, I want to experience that it's truly him. And he cried out for a moment of revelation. And I want every Christian to keep on crying out saying, God, I want you to reveal yourself more to me. I want you to show me parts of you that I haven't seen before. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. And though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood amongst them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Come, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Stop doubting and believe. But before Thomas did any of this, he answered, My Lord and my God. When Jesus spoke, there was no more doubt. There was no more rebellion. There was no more issues in the air. And he just said, my Lord, my God. Because he had an epiphany. He had a moment of revelation that it's true. Suddenly everything came right again. Everything that everybody has been telling him about Jesus suddenly became true for him. That those that said they had seen him and that he had been doubting about was suddenly not any more any doubt. Any, that is so wonderful that when you have an encounter with God, when God reveals himself to you, the response is, my Lord, my God. Immediately he understood that Jesus was the one who can do anything. He understood that Jesus is the one to be worshipped. He understood so much about Jesus in that one moment that Jesus revealed himself to him. And that's what I keep on praying. He said, God, reveal yourself to the people. Show yourself. Show yourself more to me. I promise you the story with my eye made me just again realize that God will do even more than what we ask. Even what we were just expecting. The moment that prayer is uttered, it's done in the spirit. Yes. You can believe that, that there's some of you that are praying for somebody. 
and you're concerned about them and you're wanting them to have it, you're wanting them to experience it. Well, Craig prayed for me and I didn't specifically want it. You missed the testimony now. You'll have to catch from somebody else. But God still did the miracle. God still did the miracle. I didn't need to have an operation. There was no cataract, even though the optometrist said she clearly saw it. Because somebody opened their mouth and said, let's trust God. Let's trust God. When Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. So we're saying we pray for a revelation moment. We pray for that kind of Thomas moment where everything falls into place. And whatever there was in your heart, concerns and things, are suddenly removed. Because when he said, my Lord, my God, it is the ultimate thing of worship. It's not anymore the Lord and the God. It's my Lord and my God. You know, the moment you say that, there's a whole shifting of your positioning. There's a change of how you perceive stuff. You don't need to put the finger in the hands or in the side to see it because you've had that moment where everything fell into place. Okay? Now what I also want to talk about is just before Jesus went to the cross, he prayed for the disciples. One of my favorite passages in the Bible, John 17, where Jesus prays first for the disciples and then for us. But if you can get this moment... He's knowing that his time of direct one-on-one contact with the um, disciples is coming to an end. And he knows that things are going to shift and he starts praying for them. I believe Frontline is in a shifting moment. I believe we're in a different going into another place. I'm praying for things to be different when we're in the new church. I'm expecting new things to happen. So did Jesus Expect new things when he was praying in the garden. John 17 and from verse 6. It was quite a long piece, so try and stay with me. I have told these men all about you. They were in the world, but then you gave them to me. Actually, they were always yours, and you gave them to me, and they have obeyed you. Now they know that everything I have is a gift from you, for I've passed on to them the commands you gave me, and they accepted them. And know of a certainty that I came down to earth from you, and they believe you have sent me. Isn't that exactly what we are experiencing? We know that God has sent us. We know God has given us a thing to do. We understand that God gave everything to Jesus, and he's passed it on to us. My plea is not for the world, but for those you have given me, because they belong to you. And all of them, since they are mine, belong to you. And they've given them back to me with everything else of yours. And so they are my glory. With other words, we are the glory of God in how we live what Jesus has done. They are my glory. Now I'm leaving this world and leaving them behind and coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your own care. All those you've given me, so that they will be united just as we are one, with none missing. Unity is one of the things that Jesus prays over us. Unity and being of one mind. During my time here, I've kept them safe with your family. All these you gave me. I guarded them so that not one perished except the son of hell. 
as the scriptures foretold. In other words, Judas. And now I'm coming to you. I have told them many things while I was with them so that they would be filled with joy. Church, church can never, ever be a place without joy. Church can never, ever be a place where there's not fun and jokes and laughter. And we need to understand that Jesus said, I've done all of this so that their joy can be full. I've given them your commandments and the world hates them because they don't fit in with it, just as I don't. We cannot try and fit in. Online people, people right here. Our aim is not to try and fit in and to make the world love us. Our aim is to get the job done that Jesus sent us. He said he doesn't fit in. So if you get rejected or you get put down or you get misunderstood because you're serving him, it's expected. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from Satan's power. You see, we sometimes want to pull away and start like a Christian kibbutz where we're away from trouble and where nobody bothers us and where everything is just peace and so on. But Jesus says, I'm not praying for that. I'm praying that right in the world, they will be safe. They are not part of this world any more than I am. Make them pure and holy through teaching them your words of truth. Comes verse 18. As you sent me into the world, I am now sending them into the world. And I concentrate, consecrate myself to meet their need for growth in truth and holiness. He was praying for the disciples. And he's saying, from here onwards, when I've done the cross, my job is done. The rest of my job is praying that they would grow in truth and holiness. So there's a growth in knowledge of the truth. If you think you know everything about Jesus, repent right now. God says, I'm praying for you to grow in truth and holiness. God is saying, I'm still working on you. I've paid the price on the cross. Everything that Jesus can do about our holiness is done. It is now a process that we have to enter in. He says, I'm consecrating. In other words, I'm putting myself aside and making my single focus your growth. That's what Jesus is saying. And I consecrate myself to meet their need for growth in truth and holiness. You have a need... If the disciples had a need to grow in truth and holiness, do we also need it? Yes. You have not arrived. God is not finished with you. Everything is not done. But stay on the road to growth. As I was preparing, I can truly say that I had a passion for those that have been Christians for a long time and come to a plateau. I think I've arrived. I think I've grown enough. I've done this before. I don't need it anymore. God said to me, pray for them that they can understand that Jesus has set himself apart for this very thing that we will all grow. Grow in truth and in holiness. Then in verse 20, it gets exciting. I'm not praying for these only or alone, but also for the future believers. Say, when Jesus spoke, I was a future believer. Say, future believer. believer. 
I was a future believer when Jesus prayed this prayer. I was the one that he was thinking about when he prayed this prayer. All of us were. Who will come to me because of the testimony of these. My prayer for all of them is that they will be of one heart and one mind, just as you and me are. How close is the unity between Jesus and God? Do do they have little offenses and issues and stuff with each other? Okay, so do we have the right to have issues and stuff with each other? Do we have rights to judge each other and to kijk mekaar skeef or whatever? We don't. Because Jesus' prayer is that me and Brandon, me and anybody on this place, be as close as what he is with God. And so it's for all of us. Okay, well, that one, I'm not comfortable with that one. I don't feel nice around them. They don't look like me and they don't behave like me. God says, I want to make you one, just as I am one with God. That's a level of unity that the church has not yet walked in. Just as you are in me and I'm in you, so they will be in us, and the world will believe you sent me. The world will believe that God is real, and that Jesus is alive when we become one. Listen to verse 22. I have given them the glory you gave me. The glorious unity of being one as we are one. God is, Jesus is saying that the glory of the Christians are the unity. Then the world's going to get drawn to us. Then we're going to operate in the glory that God has for us. I have given them the glory you gave me, the glorious unity of being one as we are. I in them and you in me. So Jesus in us and God in Jesus. And he's saying, we joining the unity that he has with his father. And we become part of that as our focus moves, as Pastor Wendy said, from the natural stuff here that we're having into the things of God. As we make that move, we become more and more one. Because everything else fades away and we have only one goal and that's Jesus. In them and you in me all being perfected. That's a verb, it's a process, it's not done. All being perfected into one so that the world will know you sent me and will understand that you love them as much as you love me. If we cannot reflect love to each other, how must the world know the love of Jesus? Father, I want them with me. These you've given me so that they can see my glory. You gave me the glory because you loved me before the world began. O righteous Father, the world doesn't know you, but I do. And these disciples know you sent me. I've revealed you to them and will keep on revealing you so that the mighty love you have for me may be in them and I in them. So there's a continual process of having a Thomas moment. Does that make sense? In whatever area you're saying, I'll believe it when I see it. Yeah. You know about falling over under the power of God. 
told you about my mom a while ago. But I also at some stage said, God, if you want me to fall over, you better knock me over. So one day in a church in Nisna, I'm standing with my hands up, and I feel a hammer blow in my stomach, and I go flying. What happened is the people that were in front of me fell over, and they knocked me over. But they knocked me over at the very moment that I said, God, if you want me to fall, you better knock me over. So don't pray that prayer. It hurts. <laughs> okay? Just allow God to move. But in some things in life, because of our upbringing, because of the things we've gone through, because of the things that have happened, we are at Thomas. And we say, God, if that is you, you better let me stick my hand in your middle and put my finger in your hand because I will not believe that until I see it. I will only believe that when I see it. And then Jesus says, I'm praying for you for constant growth. Constant growth. Can I ask you, how much have you grown in the last year? What has changed in the last six months? Has his glory being revealed in you more than last year? Or is it still the same? (laughs) We cannot stay the same. Our God, by his very nature, is dynamic and developing and growing and wanting to show us new things. And we anchor ourselves down and say, okay, I've arrived. Okay? I'm not moving from here. I've revealed you to them and will keep on revealing you so that the mighty love you have for me may be in them and I in them. It's continual revelation, constant unity, complete joy. Jesus said, I want your joy to be full. So the only thing that you should be arrived in is your joy. Your joy should be full all the time. Is our joy full all the time? No. Michael, I've seen you while working inside there. (laughs) Vincent, is his joy full all the time? (laughs) Unfortunately, when you come and work here, (laughs) you show yourself. Like those that have worked with me know that my joy is not always full. Okay? Vincent can tell you many stories. <laughs> and Mandy and many others. But we have to come to that place where we operate in a fullness of joy. Because that's God's prayer. Hey, if that is Jesus' prayer over you, how can we live any other way? If Jesus says, I've prayed that your joy may be full. So continual revelation. Constant unity, complete joy, love unconditionally. And the last one, when all of those are operating, is that we are the glory of Jesus. When we get to all of those things operating in their fullness, people are drawn to us. People want to come and hear us just like the thousands came to Jesus to hear him because he operated in his glory and it drew people. So can you believe that God will have that same glory in you? And you're sitting with that glory, and you're saying, I don't want to do anything for God. I'm comfortable just coming to church now and again. I'm comfortable just watching it online. Then I've done my duty. And God says, I've done everything to put everything inside of you 
and you holding back. Sure. So we are his glory. At that same time, the guys on the Emmaus Road, and I'm just cutting down towards the end of it, um, they told him that they heard all this stuff about Jesus, and he said to them from verse 25 of Luke 24, How foolish are you, and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he was going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it's nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went to stay with him. And when he was at the table with them, he took the bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. We all need an eye-open moment. We need a moment where we recognize God's hand in our life, even when we didn't see it. They had all kinds of questions. They had all kinds of concerns. They had all kinds of other focuses. But Jesus started when he broke the bread. Suddenly they had a moment. Suddenly they had what the Bible calls an epiphany, and they knew who he was and what he was busy with. And my question to you today is, do you need to be on that Emmaus road with all your questions and saying, God, I've heard all about you every single Sunday, but I need to have my eyes opened. I need to see you in a new way. I need to experience you in a new way. And what did they say in verse um, and then he disappeared from them in verse 32. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scripture to us? A revelation isn't necessarily always something big happening, something life-changing. But it is your heart burning inside of you when you know that God is at work. When you see and you hear the little things, it stirs in your heart. When we did that raw song just now, I was thinking about my backslidden days. I got myself into such a lot of trouble sometime in between churches. Church hurt me. Pastors disappointed me. I wanted nothing to do with church. Alcohol became part of my life, even though I was a Christian. And I was struggling. And a pastor friend invites me on a hunting trip. Okay, well, that sounds like fun. Ten or twelve pastors get together, and I just see the love of God flowing in everything they're doing. The power of God in all they do. They hunt and make a noise and dishing and working together, making food together, but the power of God is all over the place while we hunting springbok and part of being a hunting springbok, you get dropped off in a place and you sit alone by yourself for some hours waiting for them to chase the herd towards you. And you start dealing with God saying, okay, I know I'm not quite lacquer. I know I'm, I have not where I used to be, but God speak to me. And, um, in the night, we're washing dishes, and I'm trying to tell a pastor that I'd never met before and never met since that I'm hurting, and, and I don't know if I can ever go back to church again. And right there, he kneeled 
with, he put the dishcloth down and he kneeled. There was a bit of water spilt on the kitchen floor. And he took toilet paper. He says, put your hands together like this. And he wraps toilet paper around my hands like this. And he says, God wants to heal your heart. And I was just crying and broke down. And I went to go sit by the fire. I couldn't even carry on dishwashing because the power of God was so strong. Repenting, knowing that I pulled back from church because some stupid person did some stupid things. And I felt like God did it to me. Instead of feeling like it was somebody that was making a mistake, I blamed God for people's mistakes. And I was doing everything I can to run away from my calling because it was hurting too much. And the pastor of Oasis Church in Port Elizabeth came and stood behind me as I was sitting on the couch. And he called all the pastors. He says, come and stand behind us and roar. And they started this group of men, just from the in-depth of them, roaring, making a noise that made, we were on a farm far away from anybody, that it just made that whole place shake with how they were shouting. I just fell forward off the couch and was there on my knees by the fire just praying and saying, God, forgive me for putting my calling aside. Forgive me for running. Forgive me for trying to find fullness in something else. Frontline wouldn't exist. None of it would have happened if that day didn't happen. It was around about 2010, 2011. After that, a whole lot of things happened to restore. I didn't have any relationship with those pastors. I never saw them again. But they changed my whole life. They set my whole life in another direction. Amen. And a moment of a Thomas moment where life has made me doubt everything that I've believed, everything I learned in Bible school, everything I learned in university, everything I've experienced in our married life, everything that I'd seen in church, all became nothing because of one or two people that did things that made me doubt God. Don't ever... Let even me or anybody else do things that makes you doubt God. People mess up. People make mistakes. People do wrong things. And if we put them on a pedestal, unfortunately, God will remove them. God will take them out. In your life, God will say, you cannot have them on a pedestal. Because it's I want that glory. So God is saying, today I'm roaring over front line. As we sang that song, and we're going to sing it just now again, I want you all to take a little bit of stock of where you are in life. And saying, do you need a repair completely? Luke 24, verse 48. Jesus says to them in this whole time before, after he died, he paid the price already. He'd risen and everything was there. You are witnesses of these things. Listen carefully. I am sending the promise of my Father, the Holy Spirit, upon you. But you are to remain in the city until you are clothed, fully equipped with power from on high. You see, the cross Friday brought forgiveness. Sunday brought the power. But after that, there's still something that happens at the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And we'll look at it in the coming weeks when power comes upon you. 
So if you have saying, God, I know Jesus of the cross. And I actually wanted to ask them to bring an empty cross here, but I forgot. But there's an empty cross where the price was paid for all your mess-ups. And then there's an empty grave where the power of God ripped Jesus out of that grave and put him back up. And the Bible says that same spirit that raised him from the dead is inside of you. How dare we live a mediocre life? This coming, the power of God is coming upon us in a fresh way. 2 Corinthians 3 and verse 17. Now the Lord is the spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Emancipation from bondage, true freedom. Oh, we did some of the freedoms this weekend. But I tell you, there's a process of being in the presence of God that leads to more and more freedom. When you feel bondage, don't run from the presence of God. When you're taking strain and you're hurting, don't run from the presence of God. It is a trap that Satan has set up for you. And God is saying, I want to encounter you. Don't run away, run to. And we all with unveiled face, continually seeing as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are progressively being transformed into his image from one degree of glory to even more glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. People, I'm not arrived yet you haven't arrived yet but let me walk this place of being in his presence and being changed consistently little step at a time one thing after another on weekends like this god deals with us god holds up the mirror and says look a little bit here see this part of you that you might not have seen and as we changing while i was preparing i played some of brave heart where Mel Gibson in a dying moment shouts, freedom. And he just shouts it out. And he said, I count my freedom higher than living. I'd rather live one day in freedom than many years in bondage. That's what he said to the people. And that is why the people of Ukraine are fighting. They are saying, we'll rather live one day in freedom than many years under the rulership of somebody else. And that's what you need to do in your Christian walk. You need to peck down your foot and say, I'm dying if I have to, but I will walk in the freedom that God has paid for me. Everything that Jesus could do on the cross, anything that he could have done to set you free is done. It is now for you to, like Thomas, get to that moment where he shouts, my Lord, my God. Thomas answered him. My Lord, my God. The ultimate freedom is in those few words. Five words. When he recognized that all of his doubts, all of his things that he was struggling with, all of the issues he had is actually nothing. And he can come to that place. My Lord, my God. That's me on the floor of an old farmhouse in the Grafenet area. Many other times in my life, 
you have that moment when the issue becomes subject to God. When the issue that seems to be overwhelming and you can have a thousand reasons why the issue is there. But you get to that place, my Lord, my God. And he becomes the Lord and the God of your issue. He becomes over and above your issue. He steps in and he raises and takes the focus from your need to his supply. Your loneliness is suddenly changed by his love. Your failures isn't pushed away. He draws you closer even though you are failing. Even though you are feeling not good enough. His love just overwhelms you in those moments. Let's roar again. Michael, bring your team and let's, let's roar again. Kenneth, Dean, come. As we sing that roar, I want us to make a noise. We normally end on a bit of a quiet worship song, but today we're going to end on a, on a noise. We're going to roar. And each one of us are going to roar over our own situation. Each one of us are going to roar over our need. We're going to roar over our lack. We're going to roar over our failures. And we are going to allow God to get in. Oh, shindara noko shikatara nangaye. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We hope that you enjoyed today's message. Our services are streamed live on our Facebook page every Sunday morning at 9.30. For more information and resources, please go to our website, www.frontlinecitychurch.co.za or look us up on Facebook, Instagram and YouTube.